Good morning. Did you know that the most important thing about you is that God loves you? He loved you to the cross and back. And part of his great love is that he gives you a life that matters. You never have to wonder, do I matter? Do I count? You are number one in God's book. And he gives you opportunities every day to live a life beyond yourself. I like to call it a legacy life. This is Sue Donaldson. As you listen today, ask God, show me how to spend today investing in people and your word, because both last forever. There's no better way to live. Good morning. Today we have Ashley Hales with us talking about finding holy in the suburbs. I love that title. It's the name of your first book, right? Here we go. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. she, her publisher is going to be giving away one of these books. So listen carefully because you'll want it. Um, Ashley's a speaker and a podcaster and an author and a wife of a pastor new to San Luis Obispo, which is my hometown. Well, for the last 35 years, I married into it. She's a church <laughs> planter and a mother of four. Ashley, welcome to the neighborhood. We're so glad you're here today. Oh, thank you, Sue. It's really a delight to join you. I told my friends that today I'm interviewing someone. I I have a BA in English literature, but I'm interviewing someone with a PhD in English literature. So Ashley, let's just settle right now. We're not talking about Shakespeare. Okay. That's fine. That's, okay, <laughs> no good, good. problem. I, have, I can't remember how to spell it. Um, Ashley, your books are what I would call dense. And that's a compliment. Um, oh, by, uh, by that, I mean the sentences are rich and not something to be skimmed over. Um, you need a pen. I'm telling the audience here right now, you need a pen and you need a journal while you read her books because God will stir something up in your heart and you want to write it down. At least I do. If I don't write down it, it's lost forever. Um, But you also need a pen and a to-do list because Ashley doesn't just inspire or uh, niggle away at some sin that maybe we have been ignoring. She gives us at least five uh, action points, calls to action, I guess we could call them, um, to act out what God has stirred up. And I think, you know, we are an information age and we get a lot. But if we mm-hmm. could just act on one thing, and we'll be talking a little bit about that later on, it makes us feel better. And it also helps us to be obedient. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 So I appreciate that. Now, what did you learn about yourself when you moved to the suburbs? It sounded like a bit like a war in your soul. It really was. It really was. <laughs> I could tell. So, um, we, my husband and children and I moved um, back to Southern California suburban life um, to start a church there in 2015. And it was really hard coming home too. And suburbia, you know, I had this, this sense that ministry, you know, to be really real and authentic and life-changing needed to be either in, you know, kind of an inner city space or, you know, amongst cultural elites in a large global city or, you know, that you are working, you know, like Wendell Berry in the land, you know, and so I was like, how do, how do I figure out how to love Jesus here in suburbia, where it's mm. pretty comfortable, and kids are in, you know, AYSO soccer, and right. people are in their minivans and SUVs, like, what does it look like to love Jesus here? Uh, and, you know, to be honest, I think I would have rather had one of those other places to call my home for a while. So it was a struggle, um, and yet I found, and I was convinced that the goodness of the gospel can be lived out wherever God puts us. And so it wasn't um, my place to be denigrating suburban life like most of our kind of Hollywood movies can tend to do, um, but to figure out what does the gospel look like here on the ground. Mm -hmm. What does the gospel look like here on the ground? 
It reminds me of my first year uh, of marriage. I uh, was talking to an old friend and I didn't get married till I was 35. And, and I was a missionary with Wycliffe a couple different times. And, and she said, Sue, I'm just so sorry uh, that you got married. And I said, why? <laughs> and she said, well, because you always wanted to be a missionary. And mm-hmm. I said, listen, California needs the gospel, maybe mm-hmm. more than third world countries because they're mm-hmm. more desperate. And it just made me laugh because it doesn't yeah. really matter where we live as long as we're using the place for the goodness of others and the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And, and, but what you say about suburbia is that we can't get hung up on uh, certain things. Um, I want to ask you this though. Uh, this doesn't bother me living in suburb, but maybe I'm just, you know, blind to my own uh, sin, but uh, maybe it's because I've lived in a jungle hut, you know, and maybe it's because I've lived in a flat in a major city in another culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, but I do love comfort, yeah, and I do love beauty, and I had to wrestle with it a little bit. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to just because I live here to keep going onward and upward as if that's right. my value. But I may buy my couches at thrift stores, which, which I do, um, yeah. but they need to be comfortable. So yeah. is that a, is that a sin? Answer that for no. me. No, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm off the hook. I don't think. <laughs> I don't think comfort is a sin. I think a lot of it, you know, the Bible talks so much about our heart posture, right? And in the Sermon on the Mount, particularly, Jesus isn't, you know, he's saying, you know, for instance, if you, it's not just don't kill, right? But don't be angry with your brother or sister. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, you know, when we think about particular sins, we can often think of it as just simply actions, right? Right. But Jesus talks again and again how much it's, you know, it's the heart condition um, that really is where the action right originates. Um, and it's only, of course, through the grace of God that we're able to have our, our heart changed uh, to not be angry, mm-hmm. um, to value other people over our own comfort. So it's not to say that comfort in and of itself is a sin, but it's often... Um, it's worth examining, you know, asking ourselves mm-hmm. some good questions mm-hmm. and, and examining in community uh, to the extent to which we have elevated comfort more than maybe it should be in the life of a Christian. And um, not only that, so that yeah, yeah, excuse me, I was going to say um, with hospitality, because I speak on it as well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, people say, well, I don't have a big enough house or my couch is not pretty enough. And that that's when the heart posture needs some examining because you're really thinking, right. I think that means I'm thinking too much about myself. I mean, at one point I thought, well, right. I'm going to have to sew all of my Afghans together to cover my couch or just right. not have people over. You know, right. that's where we, that's where we go. Now I think Satan's ploy, um, and I know you're smarter than I am, but this is what I think <laughs> that Satan's ploy in our human default is to use anything for sure and everything to keep us from finding our hunger met in god alone i mean why did you pick the suburbs i think you kind of answered it but as the thing that keeps us from finding our satisfaction in him alone Mm -hmm. you know i think in my own personal experience it was really easy to see how like my neighbors had fallen prey to right suburban idols whether you know that was comfort or whether it was kind of valuing the nuclear family above the community of faith or those who don't know Christ, um, you know, whatever it is that we can tend and to focus on. And so it was really easy for me to see <laughs> those idols and maybe like you, right. Cause you'd 
lived somewhere else that mm-hmm. you could see your place with fresh eyes after having been gone. Um, and so there is that reality. And, and yet I also saw in my own heart, some of those, those good discernment qualities also needed to be, uh, you know, I needed to pay attention <laughs> to them in my own life. It wasn't that I was immune, right? Um, right. I'd ra- you know, I'd much rather not go out and make an intentional conversation with a neighbor. It was easier to stay inside my own home or um, just kind of stay on task with my children and their activities. And so the same tendencies, of course, that I could easily diagnose in others. Yeah, even if it looked different or they weren't as glaring, they were still tendencies of every human heart to yeah. run away from a relationship and really to run away from God. Yeah. And they kind of go hand in hand, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you use the expression, God has made us hungry people, and you use the metaphor of feeding on God. What keeps you from mm-hmm. going to him for your deepest meat and manna, if you mm-hmm. don't mind sharing? Oh, no. I think um, in this season of life, so my kids are uh, late elementary through teenagers, and um, it's a lot. I'm, I'm, it's a lot. Yeah, we have four, and so it's easy to be like, Everyone needs my attention. I need to make sure I make every second count, you know, get all my work done while kids are at school and then, you know, move on to the mom and carpooling mom sort of mode after that. And, and to realize actually my deepest, you know, the deepest longing of my own heart and I know where I will be content is in the presence of God, right? And, and so for me, it's those lies that really where my value comes is in everything I can accomplish, whether it's kind of work related or um, cleaning up the house or even, you know, even seeing good ministry, right. As, totally. as another a thing to do for God instead of being with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It can definitely be an idol for people in ministry. And I know, cause I am in yeah. ministry and yeah. uh, we get wrung out and we get strung out and we get tired and we get angry. And then we think, Oh, what's wrong? Well, we haven't sat at the feet of Jesus <laughs> because Right. I love, I love, uh, I studied the, um, the story of Mary and Martha in the uh-huh. Amplified and it says it was to her advantage. That's what Jesus mm-hmm. said about Mary. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, as suburban moms or whatever, raising children in America, mm-hmm. we want mm-hmm. our kids to have the advantage, right? right we'll do right. anything. We'll give them the Kumon math or we'll get them a tutor so that they graduate or, you know, we help them get into a uh, great college that, you know, whatever we're doing it's for their advantage. But Jesus says this Ashley and Sue Donaldson mm-hmm. is to your advantage. Just sit at the feet mm-hmm. of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I love what you say that we get antsy waiting on God. That's one way of putting it. We get antsy <laughs> waiting on God. So we ask our stuff to save us. What in the world do you mean by that? People actually go into target and say, save me. <laughs> I think effectually, you know, <laughs> that is what it, what it can be. It can right? be. It's, yes. Yeah, you know, often when we are waiting on God, you know, big things or small things, you know, for a change in our marriages or, you know, for a sense, you know, of closeness even with God or, um, you know, you're you're praying for a child who's wandering. There's so many different things where we have to wait um, for, for God to move. And he tends to move a lot slower <laughs> than we would like. Totally. And so I, I think, you know, whatever it is, um, we've gotten used to Target, right? Target, like if the quick little dopamine hit of shopping, whether it's at Target or online shopping or scrolling through our Instagram, um, we kind of take the pressure off of those hard waiting moments by mm-hmm. trying to satiate and make ourselves feel safe and comfortable again. And 
Um, again, it's nothing like it's not saying you can never go shop at Costco or, or Target or wherever you like to shop. Um, but it is to say, why are we shopping? Is it trying to meet some deeper need that only God can meet um, or community can meet? Or am I running away from a really uncomfortable feeling instead of bringing that feeling before the foot of God's throne for sure? Mm. Yeah. And there's so many advantages to waiting on God. I just don't like it. Yeah. And, no, um, but it's, it's, it's kind of like organization for me. I don't like to organize, but I like the results of organizing. And, um, and I can't pay, I can't pay a professional very often, but I love the results of waiting on God because that's when I find out a lot of things I find out is an evaluation really of my faith and it's mm -hmm. evaluation of what do I really, how do I really view God? And is mm -hmm. he uh, only my savior, redeemer, but is he also my friend mm -hmm. and loves me okay. to the uttermost? I mean, there's just so many great advantages that I really should go and say, Lord, hold up a little, make it, make it go uh, longer. Now, yeah. this is kind of a funny question, but is a woman who hates shopping, and I do know some, <laughs> off the, are they off the hook? Is she free <laughs> from the foible of finding her rest outside of God? Or can you give us some other pitfalls that you can mention? Yeah, yeah. No, I think um, we, you know, I think there's lots of thing, ways that we treat ourselves, whether it's, you know, your afternoon Starbucks run um, or, you know, even just the sense of I've crossed everything off my to-do list and look at how productive I've been, um, you know, look at my record of volunteering in my children's classroom or, you know, always being prepared when my children come home with, you know, fresh baked goods or something. Um there's a million different ways, you know, I think that we really ultimately look for our worth and satisfaction um, in what we do and what we produce or in who we know or what we do know intellectually. Um, it's not always what we have, but I think we can easily look at what we do, who we know and what we know as other ways to distract ourselves from God mm. and love, loving the people around us. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, Satan will use anything. Uh, we just heard a message on yeah. uh, drawing close to God this last uh, Sunday, and then I podcasted mm -hmm. on as well this week about five ways that we keep ourselves from answering God's invitation. I mean, he spends 24-7 mm -hmm. inviting Sue. Would you just come? Would you mm -hmm. just come? I go, wait a minute. You know, I'll be right there. Um, <laughs> yeah. And um, and so I, uh, these words leapt out to me as I was reading your book to fill my infinite things with finite things, the more distance, the more distance, which is not what we want, right? In our heads, mm -hmm. we do not want to be distant from God. The more distance I put between God and myself, and the more I do that, it creates a way of being. What do you mean by that? Yeah, you know, I think you know, our habits really, of course, help inform who we are becoming, right? And uh, there's lots of books. You chatted with Jen Pollock Michelle. She has a book, a few books on habits. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's there's a sense in which we become the things that we do. You know, if I decide to go to the gym five days a week, it has an effect on not only my body but my mental state, and it yep. it means eventually I have become someone who works out, which is which is a new habit I'm trying to, to do, you know, so that I can get on the I floor with my grandkids eventually. <laughs> I saw that on Instagram, Ashley. Good for yeah, you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but you know, nothing crazy. I'm like, I just want to, you know, keep actually paying attention to my body, let's say as one way um, 
to care for myself. And of course, as God's temple, you want to make good choices. And so, you know, I think there's, there is the, the tendency, right, to, to view our habits as something separate from ourselves and separate from our identity. But eventually, right, what we do will form us. Um, and so if we are people who want to love God and love our neighbors, we must do something, right? We must um, actually read our Bibles. We must actually pray. We must actually prioritize that in the same way, way that we might prioritize kind of a daily workout. We must actually go outside and try to strike up conversation with a neighbor. Um, we must actually, you know, if we're around for our kids' school pickup, like arrive five minutes early and see if you can chat with someone. You know, these are just kind of the the small intentional habits that actually change us into those types of people that God's mm. calling us to be. So good. Um, I, you may have answered this, but I was thinking, what encouragement can you offer to keep us coming to God mm. over and over again? In other words, how does this move from just being a truth that we really fully embrace, right. but mm-hmm. goes down into our hearts, into our souls, into our homes Mm-hmm. And into our actions, I I like to say that we are uh, automatic garage door uh, culture. We don't actually have to say yeah. anything in our neighborhoods. I don't care how far apart or close the the houses are. We can do that. We can choose, and there are many who do. There are people I met when I first moved in this house thirty three years ago that I haven't had another conversation with really because mm-hmm. they stay in their house now. What I yeah. have taken them things for their porch, etc. Yeah, but yeah. I thought, well, they don't want me. You know, so mm-hmm. we actually, mm-hmm. so how do we move this truth? Yes, I love God. I want to come to him all the time down to our feet and our homes. What mm, would be yeah. a tip you could get? What would be a tip or counsel you or advice? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think generally habits are best. Um, I always want to like overhaul my whole life. You know, January <laughs> comes around and I'm like, I'm going to eat so many more vegetables. I'm going to drink my water, start working out and keep my house clean and make my bed every day. And it, it doesn't happen. But if I have smaller habits, like I'm just going to move my body for 20 minutes today. I don't have to do a hard workout. Like I'm just simply going to go walk around the block if that's what I feel like. Um, or buying a new water bottle to, and just keeping it out, keeping it in my car. Um, like having the apparatus and keeping the bar pretty low, I think, is something that can actually help help us in our spiritual habits for the long haul, too. So yeah. it's not that, you know, you need to create, you know, have a block party every other week or something. But but maybe it's like, okay, I'm going to make a check mark and I'm going to talk to one of my best friends about choosing to have an intentional conversation with my neighbors once a week. And if that lasts for 10 seconds, that's okay. Or, you know, if you think about the life um, just our own individual spiritual lives and setting the timer, right? Mm-hmm. 10 minutes. My husband has his, <clears throat> like on his phone, his lock screen says Bible before email, you know, and it's just a small reminder of when you pick up the phone and you want to get busy and get work done straight out of the bed instead, you know, Oh shoot. Bible before email. I, I'm just going to, even if it's a verse, so start small in some of mm-hmm. these big habits so that they're actually <clears throat> sustainable and you don't then, you know, fall into shame or just check it. Yeah. I remember coming home from college and my sister was home. My little sister, five years younger, was on her bed writing. I said, what are you doing? She goes, well, I'm having my Bible time for five minutes. And I said, because I was older and wiser, five minutes. That's what I said. 
she yeah. doesn't remember it, but I remember it because I was so bad. She, you know, you know what she said? Uh, I said that I do it for five minutes because then I know I can get it done. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't so much a sense of satisfaction, self-satisfaction. I don't think she meant that. I think she meant like, hey, I'm going to make a low bar and I'm yeah. going to reach it. And it's a habit for a yeah. lifetime. It's not something yeah. that we, we put it on so that we could look good. It's because right. we can't really live without God. Uh, mm-hmm. Hospitality and entertaining versus entertaining is near and mm-hmm. dear to my heart, as yes, my it is. listeners know. And I mm-hmm. loved your chapter on on hospitality. How would well, you define How would you define hospitality? Yeah, you know, I really love the idea of hospitality is making room. So whether if you're making room in your home, usually, um, but you know, making room in your life and heart for for people that God brings into your path. Um, and so I feel like that really widens the door a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, because often we can think of hospitality, as you're saying, akin to entertaining. So, you know, having a nice fancy dinner party, party kind of thing, or making sure our house is all clean um, before we welcome people into our home. But really, um, you know, I learned we had a pretty small house um, when we moved to suburban Southern California and smaller than the one we had had in Utah previously. And realizing, so, you know, for a lot too, we had neighbors with really large homes. And so it felt, it felt awkward and I felt self-conscious for a while, you know, offering here's our tiny little house and, you know, come in. Um, but you know, any home or space or life that is built to actually welcome people will be big, right? People desire, um, to be welcomed into Mm -hmm. something. Um, and that was just such a great lesson for me to learn and to practice was that it didn't matter the size or the, you know, the fanciness of a place. Um, mm-hmm. But simply when you come to welcoming people and being hospitable, the more that you are able to get yourself out of the picture and care for them and really some of those fears and feeling like you're not, you know, passing muster really go beyond, um, to the wayside and not process. Yeah. Totally agree. I think that uh, we need to have a hospitality antenna. I'd like to say that. Mm-hmm. So we get up in the morning, we ask God, who do you want me to talk to today? Mm-hmm. Minister to mm-hmm. love. And then as we go out, it's amazing the surprising mm-hmm. encounters yeah. we might, we yeah, might yeah. have, but we can say, hey, they're under the umbrella of God's guidance and light into that person's life. And I also like to say that people just want to be invited, even if they don't come. And yeah. sometimes I'm relieved that they can't come because I'm over-invited. Um, <laughs> You're right. right. That's like I haven't I haven't not made your wine night yet, but yeah. I will. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I well, love the invites. So. Yeah. Uh, and that's a, some another gal wrote last night when I invited a slew of people. She goes, This one I might make. Um yeah, but yeah. but you know, the fact they want to come and um yeah. we're talking about how I have these little gatherings for women. And I think mm-hmm. there's a desperate need for community within the church as well as within the world. And it's mm-hmm. not just COVID, <laughs> you know, we right. are, yeah. we are such uh, individuals in America. What do you mean by seeing the cross as hospitality? That was kind of a heavy mm. part. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. <laughs> Thanks. You know, it, it is pretty amazing when you think about really what, what is the process of, of hospitality look like? And it, um, you know, there's some thinkers who talk about it as being um, a blessing to others, right? That you are broken, that you're given um, mm. for the behalf, behalf okay. of the other. And, you know, you see that most fully in the cross of Christ, right? That he, he, it's his own body, right? That he is giving um, for the blessing of the entire world, um, that it is broken. Um, 
his body is broken to feed us in the same way that we, in response, I think, not only feast on him, but also break bread, right, around tables, both in church, of course, but, but out of church. Um, and that there's something really beautiful when you think about our hospitality as something that is given in response, right, to love those who don't have a home, and whether that's an emotional home, a physical home, what, what have you. Um, but the cross being that place where we see hospitality most fully on offer of a place of, of blessing, of brokenness, of, of giving. Um, and then it's our, our response, right, mm-hmm. to go and do likewise. Right. And I, I like to uh, imagine, you know, when someone, you go to someone's house and they open their arms like this, that mm-hmm. Christ has mm-hmm. opened and stretched out his mm-hmm. arms on the cross. And mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. the original hospitality. And we've been mm-hmm. invited by mm-hmm. God ever since. Um, the hugeness of the need, I think, can immobilize us. Like, mm-hmm. oh, there's so it's many fair. homeless, home, so many homeless people. Uh, do I invite this one for Thanksgiving, but not this one? And mm-hmm. um, there's so many needs in maybe in your extended family, and mm-hmm. uh, they get offended if you invite a homeless person. <laughs> and I mean, there's just all sorts of things. And yeah. I think that the hugeness can immobilize us. What is a good first step towards doing mm-hmm. hospitality? Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, to start with those closest to you. So start with the roommates or family members that live in your home. Just start there because sometimes it's it's really easy, um, maybe even to be hospitable to, you know, the person who's unhoused on Main Street. Right. That feels like, oh, great. You know, I'm doing the thing that God right. said, you know, this is what true religion looks like. Or, you know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm offering something to a refugee or an orphan or widow. Um that can sometimes be a lot easier than actually being hospitable to our mm-hmm. spouses or our children. Okay. <laughs> or our totally. So, you know, I think I'm not saying we don't care um, for those populations at all. Um, but I think if we can practice it first around our own dining tables um, and then that that will spread out. Um, and then to also realize, you know, it's not like you don't have to be comfortable with, you know, those concentric circles. It's okay if God pushes you further out, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you might, you might think about, um, well, great. So Ashley's giving me a pass to just yeah. like have family dinner. Um, but I'm not, <laughs> I think, you know, if we really are coming to God with um, hearts that want to see the kingdom of God and want to be hearts and people who welcome others in, um, it's going to be uncomfortable, whether it's, you know, someone that you haven't mm-hmm. talked to, to um, in a while, whether it's a neighbor or a fellow church member, um, hospitality and the gospel will, will break down those barriers, right? So just just be prepared yeah. <laughs> as you bring those requests, right, to God. Well, it's also the best thing I've ever done for my children mm-hmm. was to yeah, be that's hospitable. that's a great point. Because yeah. they uh, they they are now adults and they, it's easy for them to have company and it's kind of fun to yes. watch them. And, yes. uh, oh, I when, can't wait. and we always ask questions. And so one time my daughter came home from a party and I said, so how was your party? She was living in San Francisco. And mm-hmm. she goes, well, it, it was kind of boring. No one asked me any questions. I mean, she's just so used to, you know, yeah, I, yeah, she, yeah. she shows interest in others. She kind of wanted yeah. them to show right. the interest. Yeah, for sure. But, and then the other night they FaceTimed me from a bar <laughs> <laughs> because a friend of theirs was celebrating his birthday and there were about 12 
people in the in the restaurant. And I said, let me give you some affirmation, Arthur. And he couldn't yeah. hear me. And so uh -huh. I had to text it. And then she yeah. told me the next day that they asked them to the restaurant owner to turn off the music and shut the door to the banquet room. And all 12 of them went around and gave affirmations oh, to Arthur. I beautiful. mean, it's beautiful. it's beautiful. I don't know where he's at on his spiritual journey, but uh, he was blessed. His sister That's teared great. up. You know, we have to give people yeah. that opportunity to affirm one another because that is something mm -hmm. that will mm -hmm. uh, bless them the rest of their lives. Now, this leads into your second book, and I'll just have a question on that. Um, sure. Your second book is A Spacious Life, Trading Hustle and Bustle for the Goodness of Limits. Now, I would think that our culture does not like that word limits, not just our children. They don't like that word either. Right. But yeah. the culture, because they want it all and we want it right now and we, feel, sure. enti and we feel entitled. Yeah. Now, if, if my listeners today are feeling worn out from all the hustling and bustling, even the good hustling mm -hmm. and bustling, we already mentioned mm -hmm. that ministry, yeah. you know, there, there are retreats for pastors and missionaries and they need to yeah. have those. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what is this book? Uh, what comfort do you offer for the mm -hmm. hustler and the bustler, even when hustling for heaven's sake? Yes. Yes. That's great. You know, I think it's so those of us who, you know, want whether or not we're in like full-time ministry, but right. You know, our, our, our focusing our time and our energy on kingdom work, um, it can be so easy to kind of have outsized priorities of things that we're doing for God versus being with God. And Pete Scazzaro talks a lot about that, that we can't outpace, right, our, our being with God. It's the same way, right? I'm, I'm having all of these um, kind of gym metaphors today, but you can't like outwork, you can't work out to like compensate if you're just eating like Cheetos and chocolate cake all day in the same way, we can't actually be living this kingdom life if we are just simply doing for God and not actually being for God. So it has to start there. Um, but I think a lot of that, when we realize, when we realize that we, of course, see, are we come up against our limits. We have limits of our time. We have limits mm -hmm. of our attention. We have seasonal life limits. We have you know, limits of our bodies. Um, and it, it can feel like, I think we all have different, uh, ways we deal with our limits. Some of us try to push them down. Some of them, some of us run away and hide. Some of us try to just pretend they're not there no. um, and just like plan the next vacation, you know, whatever it is. Um, but I think it's beautiful to see that limits are built into creation itself, right? Before mm -hmm. sin, so you know, there, there were seasons where the ground would lie fallow still, and that was not sinful. And, um, Human beings had limits. They were to live in a particular place, right? In a covenant relationship, Adam and Eve, not just with anybody. Um, planets had orbits, you know, like we couldn't just go and do what, uh, whatever we wanted. And really sin entering in the Garden of Eden was a, was a transgression of limits, right? It was um, God said, you should not eat of this. And when you do, you will die. And they were like, okay, well, I'm going to have it. You know, so we, we went past those God-given limits. And so what does it look like to live a life of faith? It's to actually live within God's limits. Um, and we see that most, most clearly in the person of Jesus, who, of course, he's God, but he's also human. And so he shows us how to respect and honor our human limits so that we can love the world. Um, I think we can view our busyness like a badge of honor yeah, and including exhaustion, um, mm -hmm. relying on our to-do lists crossed off as our mm -hmm. value, especially mm -hmm. as women, I think as women. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I do sell a little <laughs> to-do list that starts off 
relate well with God, number two, everything else. And that helps me <laughs> and good. hopefully yeah. others. Yeah. yeah. I have a different take on this, a little different question. Mm-hmm. Could could mm-hmm. we use, could we as followers of Christ uh, use the concept of limits and boundaries as an excuse to not mm-hmm. do something, to not do something brave mm-hmm. or hard that God is asking us to do? Isn't, mm-hmm. isn't that when we really learn uh, our limits, which we need to know, and mm-hmm. remember that we are clay pots in a des- mm-hmm. in desperate need of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's good because, like I said before, I think a, you know we all have different reactions, right, to limits. Right. And so some of us are going to be like, "Well, I'm not limited. I can like take on the world, and I'm going to do it all." And other of us are like, "Oh gosh, I am so limited. I can't do this." You know, and you're kind of falling into shame, or you know, you are really self conscious. And I think that's just kind of the flip side of pride, which is that first reaction. They're both the same problem. Um, They're not really, they're not, you know, you see someone who is living well within their limits. They are not anxious, right? They're not either like hustling or kind of hiding in shame or fear. And you want to be like that person, right? You see kind of the lightness um, Mm -hmm. of someone in your own life, maybe that, that you can, you can see like, wow, they, it's not that they aren't accomplishing much, but they have this kind of lightness or, you know, fruit of the spirit that's growing in them as they live within their limits. And so, yeah, I do think we can easily use this idea of limits to, to hide from God in the mm-hmm. same way that our first parents did as well. Um, and then, you know, we start the same thing. We blame shift <laughs> just like Adam does um, or, there are so many different ways in which instead of just acknowledging, um, you know, I think really you see Jesus right in the garden of Gethsemane wrestling with his limits, right? His, his the limits of his mission. He doesn't, mm-hmm. he doesn't want to be crucified as none of us would. Um, and yet you see him give that over to God, the father, right? But not my will, right? Yours be done. And I think that that might be a good message for those of us who tend to kind of hide, right, is I see this, this big, scary thing out there, whether it's inviting a neighbor over to eat or it's, you know, going on the mission field or quitting a job or saying, having a hard conversation that you don't want to have and yet Mm. you know you need to with someone. Um, And to say, you know, this is, you, you bring your limit to God in prayer and then trust that his will will be done and step out by the leading in the spirit to, mm. to do that hard thing. Yeah. The bottom line is surrender. And, yep. <laughs> and do I believe God loves me or not? You know, yeah. it helps me examine my belief system. Mm-hmm. As you know, Ashley, we talk about legacy on this show. What legacy do you mm-hmm. want to be sure to leave those who know and love you? And how are you living it right now? Mm-hmm. Such a good question. You know, I think, um, I, you know, I, I've talked to maybe my own kids about this a little bit as they've grown older, but like my legacy is I would love for my children and those that I have loved through my life to love Jesus. That's it. (laughs) You know, like, it'd be great if you do whatever you're passionate about for your work. Um, or, you know, you continue to care for other people. Like, yes, those are lovely things. Um, but really as long as you love Jesus and stay tightly tethered to him and his church, I feel like um, I, my life would have borne some fruit. So, oh, and then how am I doing them yeah. doing that now? Um, I think um, in my parenting, I am 
working hard at listening well to my kids and apologizing. <laughs> and yep. um, I think often and, and being able to take a step back um, as my children age to um, and just pray for them a whole lot more than I have maybe when they were little because I have less that I can control. Okay. So um, <laughs> I think it's a lot of that kind of dance of, you know, as my children are becoming more independent, um, entrusting them to God's care and then trying to figure out, you know, how do I take a humble and less controlling posture with them? Um, and then, you know, with neighbors and friends and family that are grown up, um, I think a lot of, a lot of some of that legacy really is trying to pay attention to the work that God has given me to do for the day. And, for the week, for the season, I think in the past I have tended to try to do it all um, and make it all happen and to do it all at the same time and not really pay attention to seasons. Um, and so to, to receive the work that God has given me to do for now and instead of trying to say, okay, this time I'm leading the women's ministry and providing food and, you know, teaching this class at church and doing my other, you know, paid and unpaid work around the home and, you know, um, and writing a book or, you know, something, to, and, you know, even for me right now, let's say I have a writing deadline right now. Um, I'm leading a, dis- a discipleship course, you know, at our church with my husband and we will try to have folks over from the church as we are getting to know people. Um, and other than that, it's like prioritizing dinners around the table and being hospitable to my kids. And this is the season. And in a few months, we'll reevaluate what season we're at. Right. And it's, it's amazing how they change and how I wasn't necessarily looking for them to change. They just change on me. Yeah. And so I think what you're saying is helping those who are more in your position right now, but also at any, at any position, uh, because it really, our identity doesn't rest on what we do. That's what this whole discussion has been about. Um, how does your life embody the welcoming heart of God? You know, I think um, one thing I love to do both in person and, and on my podcast uh, and in some of the work that I do at, at the church and, and have is throughout a lot of my friendships is um, ask good questions. So I think a, a lot of that, it's been interesting as you were talking about your daughter and the, you know, the idea of um make, you know, who's asking me a question? And mm-hmm. I think for a lot of years, because I, I felt like I had such a deep internal life, I was always waiting, you know, my questions were so that other people would ask me really good questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe as I've hit middle age, that's lessened a bit, praise God. Um, so that I'm, I'm curious about um, people, not as a way to, sometimes we can ask bunches of questions of people because we don't want to self-disclose. And other times we can ask questions of people because we only think about self-disclosure. So I feel like I'm in a healthier, more mature spot of, I just want to ask good questions because I feel like that's one way God's made me to help get to the heart of things for people and to help usher them in to that Mm -hmm. reality. Yeah. Listening is one of the biggest parts of hospitality. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I have written a book on it. I'll have to tell you about yes. that later because this is about yes. <laughs> the whole thing about asking questions is just so much yes. fun. Uh, yes. My mo- my mother used to say, well, I'm just genuinely interested in people yes. because she liked to meet all my friends. And yes. uh, 
and I'm sure she's having a great time in heaven with all that. Well, Ashley, you have been a yes. delight, a delight and a blessing. And we will be giving away a copy of your first book, the title again, Finding Holy in the Suburbs, Living Faithfully in the Land of Too Much. That's for sure. Um, how can people find you? Yes, um, probably the easiest is my website. It's aahales.com. And from there, you can click, uh, I have a sub stack, uh, a podcast, and you can find out all of that. As well. Okay. And the name of your podcast? It's just changed. It is now called The Cartographers. And I'm co-hosting, I'm co-hosting with my husband. And the tagline is mapping the changing cultural landscape for 21st century Christian leaders. So, Whoa, something lightweight. Yeah, yeah uh, no. <laughs> I guess but, I won't ask to be on it. But enjoyable. It'll be fun. <laughs> my, my husband loves maps. I'll have to turn him on to that. Okay. Yeah. Um, Ashley, what a blessing. And thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.